Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. Well, good morning, Journey. How are we doing today? Good. Awesome. I don't know about y'all. y'all. That sounded wimpy, but I am happy to be in the house of the Lord today and, and here in Evans. And then why don't we give a warm welcome to everybody down at Sherwood that is with us as well. And then everybody else that uh, maybe is watching online. Maybe they are in their uh, hotel room or in their car on the way back from their last minute summer vacation. It is crazy that summer is almost over. Um, it feels like it just started, and I don't really know why adults talk, though, about, like, summer, because it doesn't mean much to us. Like, once you're, like, done with school, what is summer? It's just hot. You still have to work year-round. You know what I mean? So there's nothing exciting about summer for adults. So kids, don't try to go up too fast, because eventually you will have to work during the summer. You don't get a summer break, just letting you know. Uh, but anyway, Summer's wrapping up, but that means that we are also wrapping up our series that we've been in, this collection of messages uh, called Choose Wiser, where we've been walking through the book of Proverbs. And our challenge, our desire through this series is to challenge us to think differently. I mean, that's why scripture is there. That's why Proverbs is there for us. God's wisdom is there to teach us to think differently. And so today, we're going to be hopping right into a, a passage that if you've been following the challenge of reading a Proverbs a day, you just read this this past week. I think around uh, like Wednesday. But it's Proverbs 28, Proverbs 28.1. And it says this, it says, The wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. The wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And so we're going to take the next few minutes to break down this scripture piece by piece, and we're going to start at the beginning, because that makes the most sense. And we're going to start where it talks about the wicked. Who are the wicked? Well, the wicked are the wrongdoers. They're the ones that choose deliberately to turn against God, to sin, They're the ones that are guilty of what they've done. They're the ones that are held captive and are in debt for what they've done. And why do the wicked flee? Well, the wicked flee because they're paranoid. They flee because they live lives, their lives running and worried constantly. Even when no one pursues them, they're always worried about, when am I going to get caught? When is somebody going to want me to pay my debt for what I've done? It's like this, this idea of fleeing when no one pursues you and, uh, you know, living a life worried and running. Anybody that's driven a car has done this before, where you're driving a car down the road and you get to an intersection, you see the intersection a little bit ahead of you, and you see the light turn from green to yellow. And in that moment, you have a decision to make. Tap the gas or hit the brake, beat the light, or stop at the light. And probably most of you, most of all of us, decide to tap the gas, right? To beat the light. And then as soon as we get past the light, what's the next thing we do? 
we look in the rearview mirror, we look around, and we see if there was a cop around, right? And that is how the wicked live their entire lives, worried that somebody is always watching, ready to catch them. And then we get to the next part, the righteous. The righteous are as bold as a lion. So who are the righteous? Well, we can tell, you know, we're comparing and contrasting the righteous and the wicked. So we know they're the opposite of the wicked. They're the ones that do right. They're the ones that are free and not in debt or of their um, shame and sin. They're ones that um, do not live under the weight of their sin and their shame. They've been set free. Scripture defines righteousness this way as well in Psalms 32. It says, how blessed is he or she whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man against whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. And then it goes down to verse 10. It says, he or she who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround them. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shall for joy all you upright in heart. The righteous ones are the ones whose sins have been forgiven and whose sin and transgressions are covered. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it another way. It says this, it says, For our sake he made him, so God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. And so church, when we ask this question, who is the righteous, we can answer, we are. Through the work of Christ Jesus, righteousness is our identity. And if we are the righteousness of God, that means that boldness is ours as well. This calling where the righteous are as bold as a lion is ours. So why are we bold and why are we like a lion? Why a lion? Well, if you think about it, in here, anyone in this room ever be like, I'm not afraid of no lion, right? Never. We respect them. They command authority. They're kings of the jungle, right? They're this weird balance of like calm, cool, and collected. Half the time, they're just like laying on a rock in the sun, napping. But then the other time, they're these powerful creatures that everything and everyone is afraid of because they are bold. They're also bold in the way that they hunt. It's really cool. But as you see lions, they hunt in these two different ways. The, the first way is that they stalk their prey. And so they'll get low in the grass, as low as possible. They'll camouflage themselves in the grass, and they'll get as close to their prey as possible, try to sneak up on them. But, but eventually, it is inevitable that their prey will either hear them or smell them or see them. And the lion, when it gets up to the prey and the prey sees them and the prey says, hey, gotcha, the lion doesn't be like, oh, man, and just give up on the fight. The lion engages in the fight. The lion engages in the chase. And so once the prey sees the lion, they chase after them. And the lion engages all of its boldness and its strength and its confidence and chases this lion or its prey down. The other way that lions fight is a little more straightforward. They don't stalk, they don't like hide, they don't try to like get, um, sneak up to their prey. Instead, they um, are bold right off the bat. 
And so in this way, they corner their prey. And so immediately their prey knows that they're in a fight. And at this time, when they get in this way where they're cornered, once the prey is cornered, the lion comes face to face with the fight with the animal. And in this scenario, the weight and the brute strength and the bravery of the lion is what will determine the outcome of the hunt. This is why the scripture says that the righteous are as bold as a lion because lions don't run away from the fight. They engage in it. They engage in the chase. They are confident in their ability to win the fight. And that's one of the same characteristics of the truth and this, or the bold. And this is what we're going to look at for the next few minutes. What does it actually mean and look like to be bold? If we are righteous, how can we be bold? And the first thing is this, is that the bold know the truth. Those that are bold as a lion know the truth. And there's a few different truths here that we need to hold on to. The first truth that we must acknowledge is that there is a fight. And we can't ignore it. It's a fight that we must rise up to. It's a fight that we must engage in. And this is the fight. It's a fight for our minds. The enemy would rather us live in shame and regret and guilt for what we've done, fleeing constantly instead of living in the freedom and the light that God has given us. And so we live and the, there's, a, there's a battle, there's a fight for our minds and we must acknowledge it. We must acknowledge that the enemy is here to steal our joy and kill our faith and destroy our hope. There's a fight for our minds. Because the enemy is real and he uses shame and regret to discourage us and distract us and to make us flee as if we are guilty, as if we are still in bondage, as if we are still in debt for our sin, as if we still don't realize that our identity is righteousness. So the second truth, the first truth is that there is a fight, but the second truth is this, is that the enemy fights with lies, so we must fight with truth. There is a fight, but it's a fight that we can win. And we can win this fight against the lies of the enemy because we've been given the truth. God's word in Ephesians calls this truth the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We have been given the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says it this way. It says that God's word is living and active, and it is sharper than a two-edged sword, and it can separate lies from truth. Just Imagine like how sharp that is, that it can even separate the lies of the enemy that run through your mind. The lies of the enemy, the enemy who is the deceiver, who is the most craftiest liar of all, that enemy that is fighting for your mind, the word of God can separate his lies from truth. And so we must pick up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and fight with it. Fight for our minds. Let me ask you those thoughts that rattle in your head. 
the ones that run through your mind, the ones that tell you that you aren't good enough, that you've been forgotten, that you won't amount to anything, that you'll never be healed, that you'll never find freedom, that you're guilty and you're shame and you just need to flee right now. Those thoughts, have you ever taken them captive and tested them against the word of God, which is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword and can separate lies from truth? Have you ever done it? Have you picked up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and tested every thought against it to see what is true, to know the truth? Because we've been created to know the truth. God desires that and designed us for it. Second Timothy says it like this. It says, for God did not give us a spirit of fear. God didn't give us a spirit of fleeing of guilt, of shame. He did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of, a, of self-control and discipline. Some translations say a sound mind, because what it's saying here is that discipline, that discipline is the practice of testing every thought against the word of God. And so maybe you need to work on the discipline of separating every lie from truth according to the word of God. Because God desires for us to have a sound mind, a mind that is at peace. A mind that knows the truth. One of the other things that the bold has, another characteristic is that the bold know that they are free. The bold know that they are free. You see, this is the opposite of the wicked, where the wicked uh, flee even when no one pursues. The bold know that they are free. They have confidence in their freedom. They have confidence in their identity that is righteousness through the work of Christ Jesus. This is what Romans 8.1 says to us, about us. It says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Church, if you are found in Jesus, there is no reason to flee. If you are found in Jesus, you are free right now. That's my favorite part of that, that verse. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Not when you get to heaven, not when you master some uh, spiritual discipline, not when you read the Bible front to back. Now, there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And so we can rise up with boldness because righteousness is our identity and we have been set free. There's no need for us to run. Jesus says it even clearer for us. In John 8, 36, he says it like this. So if the son has set you free, you're free indeed. Are you living like you are free? There is a story in scripture in the Old Testament that shares this amazing, sounds almost imaginary, but we, I believe it is true, story of this young man that had the choice to either be bold or to flee. And it's this story that you maybe, if you've grown up in church, have heard of about a, a young man named David and Goliath. 
And it's an incredible story. And most of the time in, in church, especially like in children's church and things like that, we only hear like 20% of the story. And so I want to encourage you this week to go read 1 Samuel starting 16, read chapter 16, 17, and 18. Get the full story. It's amazing. But for the sake of time, I'm going to summarize all of this. And so this is how it starts. There is a man named Goliath. And he's not just a man, he's a giant. And uh, he is um, the leader of the Philistine army. And everybody is terrified of Goliath because he is a giant. And not only is he a giant, but he's a giant that defies God. And so he has smeared God's name in the mud. He has told everybody that he's stronger than God, that he's better than God, that he doesn't fear God. And the Philistines and the Israelites were at war with one another. And so this war, what this battle looked like at this time was they were on the, uh, like in a mountain range. And so on one side of the mountains, one side of the valley were the Philistines. And then on the other side were the Israelites up on their mountainside where they had their two army camps. And then down in the middle in the valley was where the battleground was. And scripture says that for 40 days and for 40 nights, Goliath walked down every morning at dawn, woke up, walked from his camp, and stood on the battleground and taunted the Israelites and defied God. And for 40 days and for 40 nights, the Israelites heard Goliath taunting them and defying their God, and they did nothing about it. They were so afraid. They fleed from the battle, from the fight, instead of engaging in it. And then all of a sudden, there's this young man named David. And the crazy thing about all this is, if you go back and read, David wasn't ever supposed to be there on the battlefield that day. David was a young man, and all he was supposed to be doing was bringing some bread and cheese to his brothers who were in the army. So David just happened to be there and happened to be emboldened by God to do something about their issue, about what the Israelites were facing. And so David decided that he was going to fight. And so David, he gave the bread and cheese to his brother, and he walked down the mountainside, and he stood up to the battle line where Goliath was standing. And in this moment, as he stood up, as he, as he walked onto the battleground, he was engaging in war. There was no backing out. And now all of the salvation and the future of the Israelites was in David's hands. It was David versus Goliath. And Goliath, this giant, was standing there. He was a really talented warrior. He also came from a lot of money. He had the uh, like state-of-the-art armor all the chainmail, the breastplate, the sharpest sword you can find, the, the shiniest helmet. He was ready to fight. And David, this little shepherd boy, all he knew was that what grass looked good for his sheep to eat. He had never probably picked up a sword before. He probably wasn't even strong enough to pick up the swords at that time. He stepped up to the battle line with a sling and a stone. 
And as he, as he took out the sling and the stone, Goliath laughed in his face. Like, is this a joke? This is disrespectful that you would come fight me like this. But then all of a sudden, David pulled back the sling and shot the stone and knocked Goliath out cold. So could you imagine the Philistines up on their hillside being like, what is Goliath doing? Taking a nap? And then the Israelites are probably like, why did he only bring a stone? Right? And so they're all looking like, what is going on down there? And all of a sudden they see David lean over a little bit more and grab the sword out of David's armor and pick it up with all of his might and swing it back down on Goliath. And this is gruesome and we don't condone this, but he cut Goliath's head off and he lifted it up and he turned to the Israelites up on the mountainside and he showed them our giant is no longer alive. Our giant no longer has power. Our fear has been defeated. Salvation is ours. Our nation is free. And then he runs to the, the Philistine side and he says, hey, your giant is dead. You have no power over me. I no longer have any reason to flee. Victory is ours. So you see what the enemy meant for evil, David got to use for good. As he cut off the head of the giant with his own sword in the same way. What the enemy meant for evil in our lives, God can use for our good. But you see, he does it in there. David, he continues to carry Goliath's head around. And he goes on like a victory tour all around Israel. To let the whole nation know that they have nothing to fear. That victory is there, salvation is theirs. They no longer need to fear about the future. Their future is secure. And after David went on this victory tour, he did one last thing to finalize this victory. He carried Goliath's head up on a, onto a hill and he buried Goliath's head and he stuck a stake in the ground to remember the victory. And they named the hill, the hill of Golgotha, because Goliath was from Gath. And I don't know if you know this, but the hill of Golgotha is also the exact place that Jesus Christ sealed the deal, won the final victory over sin and shame for us. The same head where Goliath, or the same hill where Goliath's head was buried is the same place that all the power that sin had over us was buried and defeated as well. where God won final victory over sin and wickedness, where we have power now to not flee, but to be bold. The giant of shame, the giant of your past, the giant of the lies of the enemy, the giant of the power of hell itself is no longer before us because Christ took care of it. And so this is the last characteristic of the bold. The most crucial one is that the bold are reliant on Christ. 
Without Christ, we have nothing. Without Christ, boldness is really just foolish confidence. Without Christ, boldness is, is, is misplaced. Sometimes we'll probably make us look stupid. We'll do some things that we might regret, regret when we try to act on our old boldness, our own boldness. Boldness is only found in Christ. We must be reliant on him. John 15 says it like this in verse 5. He says, Jesus is speaking to us. And he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And whoever abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We must be reliant on Christ. We must be attached to him. Our boldness must only come from him because our righteousness only comes from him. Our righteousness is only our identity, only through Christ. We can't become righteous without him. We can't continue to learn how to be righteous without him. We can't be emboldened without his spirit within us. We must be reliant on Christ. And so I wanna give you three questions to ask yourself and think about today and throughout this week. And I don't want you to just ask yourself them, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to search for them in you, to help you find the answer. And these questions come from our three points that we looked at. And so the first one is this, is do you know the truth? Do you know the truth? And the truth could be a few different things. The truth could be, do you actually know God's word? Do you search his scriptures? Do you know what it says about you? And if not, maybe you need to take a step of joining a Bible study, joining a small group that teaches you how to study God's word. Maybe that's how you need to know the truth. But maybe another way of, of you knowing the truth is speaking the truth over you. Like maybe you know the truth, but do you know the truth? Is it in you? Is it in your mind? And then the second question is this, do you live like you are free? Do you actually live like it? Or are there areas in your life, are there places in your life where you are fleeing instead of living like you are free? And maybe some of the ways that you need to start uh, living like you are free instead of living, uh, you know, as if you are fleeing is to, again, know the truth. Fight with the truth. One of the best ways to do that is to listen to uh, music that sings the truth over us. That's one of the reasons that we worship, that we sing together, is to remind ourselves of the promises and the character of God. And so maybe you need to go sing that song that we sing, I Belong to Jesus that sings so much truth over us, to remind yourself to live like you are free. And the last one is this, do you rely on Christ? And again, this can mean a few different things. Maybe for you today, you need to rely on Christ for the first time and give your life over to him. Find freedom from your sin and forgiveness for what you've done and how you've turned against him. Maybe other ways that you need to rely on God is that you need to, talk with him more, 
Pray with him more. Seek his guidance and his wisdom more. Start thinking differently according to his word that he's given us. So think on those three questions and ask the Holy Spirit to search with you and reveal it to you. We're gonna close right here in prayer, but I wanna, I wanna do something. So sometimes we, sometimes it's better for us to respond physically first before we respond spiritually. Sometimes our body needs to go first before our mind or our heart and our soul do. That's sometimes one of the reasons that we sing, that we lift up our hands is because sometimes even if we're not feeling it, as soon as we put our hands up, we can engage more, you know? And so what I wanna encourage you to do is if you feel like it, if you are in this moment ready to respond to something that the Holy Spirit is speaking or respond in some way to the word of God, I want to encourage you and ask you to stand up and listen to me. I don't think that it's really gonna change anything drastically in your life, whether you sit or stand. I don't think God's gonna do something. He's not gonna hold something against you for you to decide to sit or stand. But in this moment, as you stand, it might be a marker in your mind, in your memory, that that day, that day I stood up, that day I responded, that day in some way or another, I decided to one degree maybe just to be a little more emboldened because righteousness is my identity. And so if you want to respond, if you're ready, we're going to pray together and you can stand and, and make it a stake in the ground that I will not flee, that I will be as bold as a lion because of Christ in me. So God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that as we stand before you right now, as we make a proclamation, as we respond to you and your word and how your spirit is leading, that you would continue to embolden us, that you would continue to work in us. But God, above everything, we just want to say thank you that righteousness is our identity through the work that you've done on the cross. That because you laid your life down, we now have eternal life. That we can now live in freedom of sin and shame and regret and guilt because of what you've done. We no longer have to flee. And so God, we also thank you for the truth, for your word that you've given us. That is the greatest and most powerful weapon of all. And Lord, help us to hold on to and fall in love with your word so that we can fight even more, so that we can have even more victory in the battle of our minds, God. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for how your word challenges us. Help us to be obedient and submissive to your word and what it calls us to. Give us boldness to live like you, to be the light of the world. And we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or help taking your next step, email our team at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.